0: Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. And of course, in chapter 5 and verse 16, he said this, redeeming the time because the days are evil. These last days that we're in, they're evil days. That should be apparent to us by now as believers, especially in a place like this where we're learning the Word of God. And we must withstand in this evil day and we need to do all that we can to stand. Now, if we agree with Paul from Ephesians chapter 6, then we're going to take unto ourselves the whole armor of God. Not parts of it, but all of it. And if we're taking unto ourselves the armor of God then by default, that means that we recognize and agree with Paul and God's word that we are soldiers who are in battle. And soldiers who are in battle understand that they must be vigilant. Because a soldier who is in a combat situation, they understand that the difference between life and death can simply come down to whether or not they're vigilant. If you're not vigilant, if you're not watchful, it can cost you your life. And so because we are soldiers in battle, we have to agree with the Lord Jesus Christ with respect to what he said to Peter when he said, Satan hath desired to have you. Satan wants you. You are his target. You are the object of his desires. He wants your mind. He wants your heart, he wants your speech, he wants your behavior, he wants you. He wants to wreck you because if he can do that, he is able to rob God of glory that God is deserving of. So, we must remember, as we saw last week, the importance of vigilance. But we also have to remember the importance of discipline. We talked about how Paul commended this church at Colossae for their order. (laughs) And the fact that Paul commended them for that speaks to the fact of how important that is. And we talked about the importance of the structure of the local church and staying within that. So if you are withstanding in these last days, if you are withstanding against all that is coming against you, well, one of the reasons you're doing so is because you're vigilant you understand that there is an assault, there is a tidal wave of an attack that is coming at you. But you're also withstanding because you are disciplined. You are staying within the structure that God has commanded you to operate within. We know very clearly that when Jesus ascended to the Father, that he replaced himself with obviously his word, his Holy Spirit, and the local church. And that is the order that you must stay within. Now, here's what's very very interesting and also very clear. Those who are not withstanding in these last days, which means they're falling or they've, or, or they've fallen, you've got to understand something about that. Uh, standing, withstanding, or falling, neither one of those are incidental. No believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is withstanding what is coming against them And no believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is falling in that by accident. It really comes down to are you vigilant and are you disciplined? That is going to determine whether or not you're standing or falling in addition to what we see in the rest of what Paul says in verses 6 and 7 here in Colossians chapter 2. In verse 6 he says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, colon, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, typically, when we read Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, our typical takeaway there is, well, how did we receive the Lord? Well, we received him by grace through faith. So that is how we are to walk in him. And that's certainly not incorrect. As a matter of fact, the reason that Paul uses the word therefore in verse 6 is because of what he said in verse 5. Where in verse 5 he commended them for what? Their steadfastness in the faith. And so verse 6 would tell you that, yeah, absolutely. How did you receive the Lord? Well, you received him by grace through faith, no doubt about it. So walk ye in him. But when you consider the choice of words in verse 6, I do believe there is more for us to consider beyond, yes, we did receive him by grace through faith. So that's how we walk in him. Notice what he said. He said, as ye have therefore, this is very important, received Christ Jesus the Lord. Not as you received Jesus Christ. But no, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. That's very important with respect to what we're looking at. Because when Jesus is placed before Christ, when you see that order, the emphasis is on his humanity first. Whereas, when you put Christ in front of Jesus, the emphasis now shifts to his deity or lordship. That's extremely important. So, with that in mind, consider it again. As ye therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. So, yes, we did receive him by grace through faith. And what that speaks to is that speaks to how we received him. Grace through faith. However, what is subtly overlooked is who we receive that salvation. I understand how we receive them, grace through faith, but let's talk about who we receive that salvation. And Romans chapter 10, verse 9, very familiar verse, but this is this clues us in even more. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth who? The Lord. Jesus, the Lord, not, not Jesus Christ or no, the Lord Jesus at salvation. We confess with our mouth and we receive the Lord Jesus. Where am I going? Where I'm going with this is, is at the moment of your salvation and mine, the Lordship of Jesus Christ is emphasized. Not later, as you often hear. And it's subtle, but, but, the, but the approach by many is that, well, uh, we're going to really load them up, which we'll talk about here in a minute. We're going to really load them up on Jesus, 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 and then this lordship thing. Over time, they'll figure that out. Well, according to the Bible, when you got saved, you were introduced to the Lord Jesus. Uh, he is as much Lord at that moment As he is and was before that moment and as he is and will be far after it and for all of eternity. So to withstand in these last days, the third thing that we have to remember is we must remember the importance of lordship. Now, this is what we must remember uh, in these last days. If we're going to stand, if we're going to withstand what is coming against us. And this is where I got to tell you. Uh, This is where mainstream Christianity completely comes off the rails. This is where it comes off the rails with all of its fads and pragmatism and all of that. This is where it misses the mark. Here's where we're going. Because mainstream Christianity is, listen, is infatuated with only a third of the person of Christ. With only a third. While biblically he is the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, mainstream Christianity preoccupies itself and is only interested chiefly in Jesus. Not the Lord Jesus Christ, but Jesus. You see, it's much easier to draw a crowd and build a crowd by emphasizing the loving Jesus uh, this is a man who loved you so much and loves you so much, and man, he went to the cross and he died in your place, and he suffered your death, and he took on all that was that really had your name on it, and he desires to have a relationship with you and, and he wants to take you to heaven for all of eternity and isn 't that so great? Oh well, well who wouldn 't want that who wouldn 't want that kind of love and attention and care? But when you start talking about Christ Jesus, the Lord, well, that's a different conversation, isn't it? That's a different conversation than just Jesus, the one who loves you so much. And please don't misunderstand me. (laughs) By no means and in no way am I throwing shade on the person of Jesus, God forbid. But in that crucial salvation verse of Romans 10 9, it was anything but incidental. That the Apostle Paul told you that at salvation you confess the Lord Jesus in that order. Because the Jesus who came at the first coming died to raise from the dead, listen, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that is how he will come back at the second coming. He will come back as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So instead of emphasizing the Lordship of Christ today, the emphasis is on so much of friendship with Christ. And brothers and sisters, listen, man, praise the Lord that that we can count or consider ourselves as friends of God or, or friends of Christ, but we must be so very careful that in that consideration, when you're thinking about our relationship between us and our Lord you got to remember, it's not a relationship of equals. That's so very, very important, right? So I, I could say, well, you know, Mark's my friend, and Chris is my friend, and Jared's my friend, and David's my friend, and that David's my friend, and we can go around the room. Uh, it's not that kind of relationship, right? When you think about, so if David and I are hanging out, and we want to go grab lunch after church, well. Uh, we can have a discussion about where, and we're equal in that regard, where he wants to go to Mexican and I want Chinese. Well, okay, no no, no, big deal. Uh, but that's not our relationship with Christ, where everybody has an equal voice. Uh, please understand that. Uh, there's a song that you're probably familiar with, and it's called uh, I Am a Friend of God. Many of you have heard I think we've actually sang it here a few times, and nothing wrong with the song. I, I, I get the gist of it. But we have to be so very careful. We have to be so very careful. In that, we made sure that our view of friendship with Christ is consistent with his view of friendship. Here's how he positioned it in John 15, 14. Jesus said and says, ye are my friends if, I circle that word if, ye do whatsoever I command you. Uh, don't miss that. Uh, don't miss that. Uh, that's Lordship right there. That said, to withstand in the last days, we must be preoccupied with walking obediently in Christ. That's how we walk in Him. That's who we receive. We receive Christ Jesus, the Lord. He's Lord. He's the Lord. And so, as followers of his, we must walk obediently. Now, to take the guesswork out of this, Paul gave us intel on what that looks like. But for looking at that, though, I want just to remind you in this chapter, Paul used the word in about 23 times. I, I-N. It's huge. He talked about in love, in whom, in Christ, and, and on and on and on and on. And at eye level... When you're talking about that word in Colossians chapter 2, you're talking about our position. It's our position in Christ. Simply put, that's what it refers to. We can walk in Christ Jesus the Lord because positionally we are in Christ Jesus the Lord. That's our position. So another way that we say that is we talk about the difference between our standing and our state. Okay, our standing or our position is that we are in Christ. Now, our state is our walk. Are we walking in Christ, therefore? Okay. And what Paul is getting at is our walk should be consistent with our position. That is always the issue when you're talking about the sanctification of the believer. In other words, your walk reflects who you are and where you are in Christ. Those two should agree. Right? It's not enough to say, well, yeah, my, my standing is I'm in Christ, but my walk looks nothing like that. that. that, Those should not disagree. So we walk obediently in him because that's who we are in Christ. That's how we walk. So Paul said in verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with Thanksgiving. So walking in him means that we are rooted in him. If we're going to walk in Christ, we have to be rooted in Christ. And that is that part of a plant that is attached to the ground. And from the ground, it draws everything that it needs to survive. Right. And for us, Christ is that Christ is our ground or he's our foundation. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's our foundation. And again, that verse in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23 is so critical. Because Paul laid the groundwork there for what he's saying here. Remember what he said? If ye continue in the faith, how? Grounded and settled. Grounded and settled. Rooted. When you are grounded, settled, rooted in Christ, guess what? You're not moving away from Him, and you're not moving away from the hope of the gospel, are you? You can't. Why? Because you're grounded, you're settled, you're rooted. You're not going anywhere. You know what's interesting about the roots of a plant or a tree is that they're not obvious to the naked eye are they? Can't see them. You can't see the roots. You can't. You know what you can see, though? You can see the plant, or you can see the tree. And if that tree or that plant is rooted, then you know that tree or that plant is solid. Uh, we bought some plants a few months ago, and... and uh, Somehow it fell to breed or water the plants, so she didn't water the first round, so guess what happened? They withered. Why? Well, because you know, it gets hot in the summer. So she learned, so we bought more plants. And to her credit, she waters them just about every morning, I think. I see her doing it. And you know what? Those plants have endured some storms, some pretty heavy winds and rains, and I mean really pouring rain days, right? And those plants are thriving. Why? Because they're rooted. They're rooted. In the parable of the sword, Jesus points this out. He says, when the sun was up, those who had no root, what happened to them? They withered away. They weren't rooted. They weren't grounded. They weren't settled. You see, time, testing, and trials always reveal whether or not someone is rooted. Always. Always. Time, testing, and trials always reveal the truth. This is one of the reasons we need storms. This is one of the reasons we need trials. This is one of the reasons that we need testing. Because God knows who we are and where we are. But God is very intentional. And God is very zealous for us to know who we really are and where we really are. Well, what does God use to do that? Time, testing, and trials. It tells the story, it tells the truth about your root system. Are you really rooted or are you not? The heat is being turned up in these last days. And the truth is being revealed. I will tell you, it has been interesting and necessary. The last six months of of Midtown Baptist Temple have been the most challenging six months in the history of MBT, I believe, and they have been for every church that I can think of and In those six months, the truth is simply being revealed about who we really are and where we really are as a church and individually and sadly I and mean, but this is the, and, and but here 's the thing it 's important for us to know because. The Bible tells us to be diligent to know the state of our flocks. And I will tell you, sometimes it's you're like, oh man, I, I really thought he or she was further down the road. I, I never thought that they would respond this way or act that way, but oh, well, this is what storms do. This is what trials do. You know, when the disciples were uh, at sea with Christ and this violent storm erupted, and they panicked and went to Jesus, who was sleeping, which ought to have told them something. Okay? I mean, man, it is absolute chaos. And this guy's asleep? Like, that should have been a cue. Okay, I get it. I'm made of the same stuff they're made of. I would have probably missed it too. But where did he take his focus immediately? Was it on the storm or their faith? It was their faith. See, the only thing the storm did was revealed to them. He already knew. All the storm did was reveal to them who he really was to them. And what that moment showed was, Lord, we believe this storm that we see is greater than you. Which is why they needed the storm. Because if that's where you are in your faith, Christ is going to be very faithful to point that out because you need to know that. I mean, that's what storms do. But walking in Him also means that we are built up in Him. And that phrase, built up, it simply means to build upon. So what we have in view here is continued or continual spiritual growth. Right? So you're not just rooted, but but you're growing in Christ. You're not just rooted in Him, but you're growing. A plant or tree that is rooted, it's going to grow. It's going to flourish. Uh, consider Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3. The Bible says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted, rooted, grounded, settled, by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit and his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Please, this is very, very important. A plant or tree that is rooted will grow and flourish in any environment. A plant or tree that is rooted, it's going to grow and it's going to flourish in any environment. Every time. You remember the parable that Jesus gave? Uh, I think it's in Matthew chapter 7 is where I, I think about it. Where he gave the parable between the wise man and the fool. The wise man built his house on the rock and the fool built his house on sand. You know what's interesting about that? Both men heard the same message. And both men took two totally different responses to it. Here's what's also consistent in that. Both men faced the same storms. They both faced the same storms. And guess what? There were two outcomes to that, wasn't there? Uh, one man who built his house on the rock, guess what? He, he faced the storm, and he endured it so that his house. But the fool who built his house on sand, what happened to his house? Great was the fall of it. Why? Because the house that was built on the, on the sand, it wasn't grounded. It wasn't rooted. It wasn't settled. That's Interesting. Joseph prospered in Egypt, did he not? Not an ideal environment. Not only did he prosper in Egypt, he also prospered in the dungeon. Not an ideal place to prosper or grow or flourish. Paul prospered as a prisoner. You think, well, how do you prosper? How do you grow as a prisoner? It it has nothing to do with location. It has nothing to do with scenarios, has nothing to do with circumstances. It has everything to do with, are you rooted and are you being built up? If you are, then you will flourish in any environment. That's how this works. Uh, some are blaming the pandemic or other issues for their stagnant and struggling states. The problem with that is is they're not being honest with themselves because they are stagnant and struggling because, listen, they're not rooted and growing. It has nothing to do with the pandemic at all. The only thing that the pandemic reveals is whether or not you were rooted and were you grown. That's all the pandemic does. The pandemic has no effect whatsoever on who you are and where you are in Christ and what you were doing before it hit. All the pandemic has done is just reveal the truth about who you are, where you are in Christ, what you think of him and what you think of his word. That's all it's done. And that will be the case with storms and trials every time. And Paul goes on to say, And established in the faith as ye have been taught. As ye have been taught. And here we have here, this is another example where there is a subtle uh, undermining of God's word. And so uh, many view the word "establish" as an archaic, expired old King James words, so they just replace it with established, because, well, it's close enough, and this is what Paul really meant to say, except the problem is, when you track the usage of those words scripturally, you realize that, no, it wasn't an accident, and that word was chosen exactly. Because established, it's, it points to our position, us, or us holding firm in our position in our faith, right, in terms of who we are in Christ and what we have and the, the, the doctrines of our faith. When you see the word established in front of it, it talks to or speaks to our practical response to our establishment. In other words, it's the same thing we said earlier. Established refers to our standing. Established refers to our state. That's how you can look at that. Okay, this is who I am in Christ, so I need to be established in my position. Established says, okay, I need to walk in response to that. So I am established in what I'm established in. That's it. So it's, it's not an error. Paul wanted them and us to be established in the faith. Listen, as we have been taught. So, I beg you, I beg you, please, 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 pretty please, as we say. Hear this. There are no new doctrines of the faith waiting to be discovered. Please. Shall I say it again? (laughs) There are no new doctrines of the faith waiting to be discovered. Can we learn new things? Yes. If we're rooted and growing, we are going to be learning new things. But learning new things and discovering new doctrines are two completely different trains of thought. Paul said it this way to both Timothy and Titus. 2 Timothy 1.13 Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me. To Titus regarding the qualifications for the bishop or the pastor, the elder, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. Paul's point was elders simply need to teach what they've been taught. It's that simple. Uh, Can I tell you that I mean that's uh, I mean I'm not bringing you anything new that's for sure. I mean maybe a a different take or different insight but in terms of the foundation of what we're teaching whether it be Sam or whoever uh, we're just teaching you what we've been taught which I believe we can trace back to the Apostle Paul in terms of doctrine for the church. And, But hey, I get it. If, if if you get to the place where you think that you can't jive with that or that's not right or whatever, then I would beg you, please find the church where they're teaching it the way you believe it should be taught. I mean, I, I, this is one of those things that I've never understood. Maybe you could give me some insight, but I've never understood this, like, I've never understood why believers, and believers do this, they will find themselves in a church where they are—they seem to be very unhappy. They would agree with just about anything the church teaches or does. And they are convinced that this church isn't teaching. Okay, hey, man, I get that. This is a free country. We, we don't have a, a monopoly on anybody. Why don't you go to the church that you think is teaching it the way you think it should be taught, and throw yourself in there 100%. But don't stay here and fight and kick and scream because you don't agree. Why would you do that? You know, I've, I've talked to people. It's, it's what I do. And I remember telling one person, I said, listen, here's what you've got to understand. Uh, as long as you're here under this leadership, we're never going to speak in tongues. I'm never, Sam is never going to stand before you and give you some new revelation we got from God in a dream last night. And all of a sudden, that weighs as much as the written word of God. It carries the same weight, the same authority. That's not going to happen here. So I get it. That, that's, a, that's a big deal for you. I can name five or six churches that would love to have you. I think you should go. Because every conversation I have with you, it's about tongues, it's about dreams, it's about healing, it's about the sign gifts. Every conversation I have with you is about that. And every conversation that comes back to me that you're having with others, it's that. So clearly, that's a big deal for you. That's not a big deal for us. If I could be honest with you, we give as much attention to those things as Paul did after his epistle to the Corinthians. And how much attention was that? Zilch. Zilch. And the attention that he gave to it, to the church at Corinth, he was reproving them for their misuse of it. He was far from encouraging it. So, I get it. It's a big deal to you. Okay, go find that church where it's a big deal to them. We're not it. But if you're here then we're going to teach what we've been taught. (laughs) We have to. Does that make sense? But at some age in the faith, they cannot restrain from discovering some new doctrine that all the believers in the history of Christianity, in the history of the church, were just not smart enough to glean. But they got it. Man, they've got some new insight, some new doctrine, some new doctrinal trick. And by the way, if you really love God, and if you really believe the Bible, you'll believe this too. And if you don't believe it, well then, man, you can't, you're not serious about the Lord. Guys, that's exactly what was happening at Colossae. That's Gnosticism. Hey, we are the select few who have been brilliant and smart enough to glean this higher level knowledge. And if you really want to walk with God, you'll listen to us and believe this too. Oh, no. Keep it simple by being steadfast and established in the faith as ye have been taught. And Paul told us to do so with thanksgiving. Look at verse 7. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, That statement, in light of everything that he has said up until this point, we are tempted to treat it lightly. Oh, it's just a nice little thing that he's saying just to wrap up this point because this verse ends in a period before we get to verse 8 and really get to the good stuff. Uh, You should know better. And one of the clues that Paul was not thinking that way is notice the word that he used. How are we to be thankful? We are to be abounding therein with thanksgiving. This is anything but a transitional, insignificant statement. What's his point? Let me ask you this. If you were financially wealthy, I mean loaded financially, millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, do you think you'd be thankful? Do you think you'd be abounding with thanksgiving? I think you would. And many of you are like, yeah, I would love to try. <laughs> All right? All right. For whatever it's worth, um, I knew a very, very wealthy man once who made this statement. He said, the only people who know that money can't make you happy are those who have it. So whatever that's worth, you take that with you. I'm not saying that it's a sin to be wealthy, though. Understand that, too. Okay? We would all say yes. In chapter 1, what did Paul tell us? Paul told us that the riches, riches of his glory are where? In Christ. And where are we? In Christ. In chapter 2, he told us that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid in Christ. Where's our life? Our life is hid with God. Where? In Christ. Chapter 3. So when you consider who we are and what we have in Jesus Christ, it ought to provoke you. It should provoke me to abound therein with thanksgiving. You're rich. Do you know what you have in Christ? Man, you ought to be so thankful that you can be rooted, that you can be built up, that you can be established in Him. Man, that ought to provoke you to abound therein with thanksgiving, no matter the climate, no matter the situation. Right? And some are saying, well, yeah, you know, I would... I want to do that. I, I want to abound in Thanksgiving, and I'll do that as soon as things get back to normal. Boy, as soon as we can pack Arrowhead Stadium out again, and as soon as all of our kids can go back to school, as soon as we can come to church without masks, as soon as there's a vaccine and 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 the, the numbers are just plummeting down man where you know nobody's really getting it anymore oh then lord i will abound okay if that's the position that you're holding even if you're holding it subconsciously here's what you're telling god as a plant or as a tree what you're saying is is i'm not grounded i'm not settled I'm not rooted, I'm not being built up, and I'm not established in the faith. Because if those things were true about you and me, it wouldn't matter if, if this pandemic was 10 times worse. We'd still be flourishing spiritually. Because that's what a plant or a tree does that's rooted. Lord, thank you for your word. It is always holy. It's so very high. I do pray, God, that we would take these things to heart for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.